It was September 1862, the midst of the Civil War. Two Union privates were conning a field in Maryland, and they looked down and they saw a packet of paper. And they picked it up, and to their delight, as they opened up this piece of paper, several pieces of paper, to their delight, there were three cigars, the best, most expensive cigars, must have been dropped by a Confederate general. But as they continued to examine the papers, they realized that the real treasure they had. It was actually a handwritten order by General Robert E. Lee, one of only four, lining out the Battle of Antietam. It was called Order 191. It showed troop placements, soldiers, entrenchments. It gave the Union the entire battle plan for Lee at the Battle of Antietam. When given to McClellan, he said, with this paper, if I can't whip Bobby E. Lee, then I should go home. They found the battle plan to try to win the Antietam War, which is the bloodiest war in the history of the Civil War. Well, guess what? We are called to go to battle. Christ said that when he left, go and make disciples. This is the plan. This is my battle for believers to go and help other people follow me. That's the plan. But the, but the orders got lost. In the same way that that general lost the Southern Confederate battle plans, Christians have lost their orders. The most neglected command in the scriptures, one of them, the lost battle plans that Paul gave for how we are to go and make disciples. But guess what? We found them. We're going to look at those today. Our series has been maximizing your time, treasure, and talents. Today, we want to talk about your talents, one of the most neglected battle orders of, of, of Paul, of Jesus Christ, and that is the use of spiritual gifts, one of the most underutilized battle plans. Let's look at God's battle plan for how we might be a part of this great challenge to win others to Jesus Christ. If you would turn in your scripture, in your Bibles, or pew Bible there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It is page 1219 in your pew Bible. Let's uncover the lost battle plan of Jesus Christ to change the world. Hear the reading of Paul. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. And here comes the battle order. Here comes the strategy. Now, there are various, there are, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is in the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice to each. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. So there's the marching orders. 
And where are you in this battle? Where, where, where am I using my time, treasure, and talents? Do I know what my talents are? Here's a clear battle plan with, with the armaments, with the weapons, with the people. But it's the, one of the most ignored parts of the Christian life today. Only 80%, or excuse me, only 20% of true believers actually know what the battle plan is and know their gifts. During the War of 1812 with England, there was a meatpacker from uh, Tory, uh, excuse me, from Toronto, New York. His name was Samuel Wilson. Samuel Wilson worked in a meatpacking plant, and he would pack and salt meats and put it in barrels and deliver it to the Continental troops. They called him Uncle Sam. He became famous, and he actually became the inspiration for this great poster used in all wars. The Uncle Sam wants you, but today we're like, you know, Jesus Christ wants you. Jesus Christ first wants you to know him personally as Lord and Savior, but that's not it. And that's where most Christians stop. That's when they become consumers instead of ministers. They become users instead of ministers of the gospel because they don't know the next, they don't know the order, they don't know the plan. Jesus wants you to be a part of the battle plan of his great commission. And most Christians miss out on that and miss out on the fullness of the Christian life. But Paul gives us gives us the battle, but gives us the ammunition. He, he equips us by telling us what our talents can be. So if we look at maximizing the talent, there's three things I hope you'll take away from this that Paul challenges us to believe. The first one is this. All believers are called to be ministers of the gospel. All believers are called to be ministers of the gospel. Secondly, all believers have been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. All believers have a spiritual gift, have gifts. And lastly, all believers are called to discover and use them, the neglected challenge to the church today. You are a minister of the gospel. You have spiritual gifts. You're called to use them. Let's talk about all believers being called to be ministers of the gospel. Luther, when he saw the, the indulgences and the corruption of the Catholic Church, started the Reformation on this idea. It's not just ministry for the priest, the paid people, the called in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the prophet, the priest and the king only. But in the New Testament, at Pentecost, when the Spirit fell on all the believers, they all became priests, prophets, and kings. Peter says it like this, you are a royal priesthood, a priestly kingdom. There's no professional, there's no amateur, don't just leave it to the experts. All of us are called to be ministers of the gospel. Do you know that? Or are you just expecting us to do it? If you leave it up to just us, we're in trouble. We can't do it. We can't do it without you. <clears throat> the Revel book of Revelation, the Revelation, I should say, says it like this. Through Jesus, your blood, you have made us priests and kings. You're the prophet. You're the priest. You're the king. There's no clergy and secular. We're all ambassadors for Christ. We're all ministers of the gospel. Consider Kanye West. Most of you probably don't know who he is. I wouldn't know if I didn't work where I work. Kanye West, a black rapper, who in the past, I would be fired if I played his songs, if I quoted him. Horrible, vulgar rap music. He's come to know Jesus Christ. His latest release is called Jesus is King, one of the top record numbers in the albums in the world. Jesus is King. He recently, this untrained, unskilled, unseminary, lack of theology, young man has gone, it went to the prison uh, in Houston on the 15th of November, went into a prison. It was supposed to be a concert. It became a revival. Prisoners fell on their knees and accepted Jesus Christ. It was so effective. This week, the Atheist Society of Texas filed a lawsuit because 
they said it's not separation of church and state. Ministers have been going in there. Chaplains have been going in there. But Kanye West goes in there and the atheists get upset. He's using his spiritual gift. And he's not even trained. And Christians are like all upset that he's not a professional. Paul says, I don't care for what reason you preach the gospel, just that Jesus would be lifted up. Justin Bieber, the pop star icon of, the t- of 2000, millions of albums, messed up life, comes to know Jesus, and at the largest, wildest, most pagan music festival in the world, Coachella, in the deserts of, Palm- of California, he gets up and he sings the reckless love of Jesus. He sings the gospel, and millennials, and Gen Xers, and Gen Ys that we can't reach, Gen Zs, come to know Jesus. You are a minister of the gospel. Don't leave it to the professionals. There's a story. It's fictitious, but I like the concept. The idea is that when Jesus left and ascended into heaven, as we say in our Apostles' Creed, and left this motley band of disciples and followers down the mountain, he gets to heaven and he sits back in the right hand of the throne and the glory of God the Father. He sits at the right hand and all the angels come up because they've never been human and they start asking questions. What was it like? What was it like to eat? What was it like to be born? What's it like to be human? What was it like to cry? What was it like when you died? And then one angel said, so now you're here, what's the plan? And Jesus looks down at that motley band of untrained people and says, that's the plan. And the angel said, is there another plan? And Jesus said, no, there's no plan B. We are all ministers of the gospel. Several years ago in Amarillo, Texas, and I'm not criticizing, just fact, about 10 years ago, this church in South um, Amarillo just popped up and this very, very gifted, talented minister began preaching and teaching, and all of a sudden, it was the hot place. It was before Hillside was started. It was it, this, this hot church in South Emerald. just became a big deal, and, and, and new people started coming, and they were baptizing people, and it was a revival, and other people were coming from other churches and going there because this guy was really good, and, and he was a phenomenal preacher, and people were being saved, and, and it was just, it was blooming, bursting, flourishing, and then it was discovered that he was living an immoral lifestyle and having an affair. And he left the church. And people left the church. And another church took it over. And now that church doesn't even exist because it was about one person, one personality, one trained professional. God forbid it could be any of us. But this church, without me, without Howard, without Murray, without anyone paid, you could continue to do the work of God because you are priesthood. You are ministers of the gospel. Do not forget that not just in these walls, but wherever you go, you do more than we could ever do. All believers are ministers of the gospel. Do you know that? Or are you just gonna leave it up to us like you do your dry cleaning and your yard care? No, you're called to be in the battle and here's your battle plan, here's your weapon. The second thing after all believers are ministers of the gospel is this, Paul says, all believers have been given spiritual gifts. Everyone has spiritual gifts. God takes the non-believer And God gives us talents and personalities and skills and things that you had before you were a believer. You had these gifts, these skills, but they were man-made. They were natural. They were being used for yourself. They're worth nothing in heaven, nothing to the kingdom of God. But then the scripture says, when the Holy Spirit at Pentecost fell on the church, he brought gifts, the charismata. He brought, the word there for spiritual gift is grace gifts, charismata. We're all charismatic, like Dan said. It's not just this church over there or that church. We are a charismatic church. And sometimes I know we're a little bit afraid to hear that. 
You're a charismatic person. You have a spiritual gift that's been given to you. God takes your natural skills and natural abilities, your personality, your Enneagram, your disc, your whatever you want to call it, your love language. He takes all of that humanly and then he empowers it with the Holy Spirit and that makes you different. That makes you dangerous and powerful and effective. I'll tell an Aggie joke because my daughter goes to A&M and I paid for it, right? <clears throat> the story of an Aggie that has uh, got some land and he wants to clear some shrub and some trees. And so he's got his saw and he's sawing and sawing and it's just like it's taking him so slow. So a friend recommends, well, why don't you go to Home Depot and buy a chainsaw? The Aggie's like, oh, they have, okay, okay they have those? And he goes and gets a chainsaw. And he's talking to the seller and the guy says, yeah, how many trees are you cutting down now? Oh, maybe one or two a day. This will triple, this will quadruple how many trees you can cut down. Aggie goes back to his lands, cutting trees, cutting trees, comes back about two weeks later, goes to the salesperson, he goes, I'm not sure this is working. He says, well, what's wrong? He goes, well, <clears throat> you said I could cut down like five or six more times trees, but I'm only cutting down about twice as many. I said, well, let me look at it. And he takes it and he goes back in the back and he lays, there's no oil in it, there's no gas. So he puts gas in the oil and brings it back out in front of the Aggie, starts it up. Aggie goes, what's that noise? To take your skills and your gifts and your human ability, as great as we think they are, your knowledge, your training, your personality, and to use it for yourself is like cutting down trees without starting the chainsaw. It's just man-made work. It will mean nothing. It will mean nothing at Judgment Day if not done for Christ. But when you come to know Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive spiritual gifts, you will be a force to be reckoned with. What are the gifts? Look at the list. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, we saw those gifts. Paul also gives us another list. There's probably 20, 25, 26 gifts that we know of. Uh, not a comprehensive list. We don't know them all. We know the main gifts. Um, <clears throat> Paul says it like this in Romans, just to see another list, kind of where we get this idea. Paul says in Romans 12, 6 through 8, he says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, do you hear this? Let us use them. Clear, there's the directions. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in their generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's some 20-something gifts. Do you know them? Do you know yours? We have a list here that we use for our church. The main gifts, administration. My name's not near that one. Apostleship, discernment evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, intercession, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, preaching, serving, shepherding, teaching, wisdom. You have at least three major spiritual gifts. Do you know what they are? Are you using them? Why not? Have you lost your marching orders? I saw this years ago as a young believer and it changed my life. Um, <clears throat> my wife will tell you I'm not the most... Um, carpentry, handyman kind of guy. I could barely make an ashtray and shop in high school, but if, if I <laughs> am working on my fence, I have a giant nail here because Dan had a giant clock and a giant shoe, but if I wanted to fix my fence and I wanted to nail that nail, as Chip Gaines says, you right tool for the right job, right? You gotta get the right tool. So I'm gonna say, okay, I'm gonna get the right tool. Ah, here's a sponge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail this with a sponge. No, okay. Oh, here's one. Fits the hand perfectly. I'm going to use this. This probably would be the right tool. I'm going to use a banana. Well, that's not working. Oh, this is perfect. Fits perfectly nice. I'm going to use a light bulb. Well, that wouldn't work. But that's what most Christians are doing. 
You don't know what your gifts are. You're, not, you're on some committee that you have no interest in. You have some ministry that you're not good at. You're not doing anything because it didn't work one time. But Paul says, you've been given a special gift, the right tool for the right job. This hammer was made by its creator. It's designed specifically for one job. Do you know what that weapon is? Do you know what your tool is? What were you made for? If you don't like high school kids, don't work in the youth ministry. If you hate finances, don't get on the finance committee. If you don't like to be inside the church, find what you were made for. Because you'll know. It'll feel right. It'll sound right. People will say, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Do you know that? Are you just consumer? You just come to church because you're supposed to and then you go home. What is your hammer? What were you made for? So besides the challenge that you are made to be a minister and the second challenge that you have spiritual gifts if you are a believer, the last challenge is all believers are called to discover their gifts and use them. If we polled you right now, would you know these are my top three? Paul says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be unaware. The Greek there means don't be stupid. I'm not trying to insult you. It means don't be ignorant. How could you follow Jesus? And I did for most of my adult life. How can you follow Jesus and not know what the battle plan is, what your orders are, what you're good at? If you don't know, you're just going to be a believer. You're going to drop in, drop out, be a consumer instead of a minister. You're just going to come and go when it feels good. And you'll find your faith is nothing. It's not the abundant, powerful, impacting life that you should have and I should have. Okay, so how do we find them? How do we use them? First of all, ask the Lord. The Lord gave them to you. Lord, what... Is it that you made me for besides accumulating money and land and titles and stuff? What did you really make me for, Lord? He will show you. Secondly, take a survey. When we do new membership class, we have these, we have these little surveys. It's a, it takes you 10 minutes. We're gonna give these to you as you leave and when you have your piece of pumpkin pie, if you turn this in, you get a piece of pumpkin pie. It's right, bribery in the church, it is. It's like money changing right now. We're gonna ask you, fill this thing out and leave it with Murray. Leave it at the front and find out. We'll send it back to you. Do you know your gifts? Take it home if you need to. It's easy to know and you'll be surprised. So pray, take the survey. But here's the other thing. Ask others, what do you see me doing? What do you think I'm good at? What do you think are my gifts? What did God make me do? And when someone says to you, Howard, I see you leading the church through its most difficult days. You do that well. When someone says to my wife, you should open up a a, a store and minister to kids because you have the gift of mercy. Go do that. When someone says to Doug White, man, you know your finances. You understand money. We need your wisdom. When people tell you this is what you're good at, go do it. 1974, the sophomore at University of Texas I was a volunteer leader, just goofing around as a Christian, didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. Just thought young life would be cool. And the guy that was trained, the guy that was a director, the guy that was staff, he got sick one night. And they said, Kim, you're gonna have to speak to the high school kids. I was scared to death. I got up and shared my testimony and shared Jesus. And he looked at me later and said, you were made for this. No matter what you do with your life, you better keep telling young people about Jesus Christ. And I've never enjoyed anything more. And as Eric Liddell said, the British track, he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I preach the gospel to kids, I feel his pleasure. What 
And where do you feel God's pleasure? What is it that when you're doing it, it makes your pulse race? You would do it for free. You would do it all the time. What gets you up in the morning for the kingdom of God? What do you have a heart for? What were you made to do? If you don't find that, your Christian life will be just drudgery. Take the survey, find out, ask people, ask the Lord. What were you made for? What is your role in this battle? What are your weapons? 1983, a guy that you will know very well was starting a small company in a California garage. It's changed all of our lives. Every day it changes our lives. He needed an executive. He needed someone who knew how to run a big business because he knew this was going to be big business. He came to John Scully, the executive president of Pepsi, who was a multimillionaire times over, who had everything he needed, was about to retire, and he said, I want you to run my company. And John Scully laughed at him. Why would I leave the most popular brand in the world and all this money and this status to go work with your little company in California? And Steve Jobs looked at him and said this. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world?